This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to Gone to Texas, a podcast about AMC's Preacher. My name is Alex, and I have not read any of Ennison Dillon's Preacher. And I'm Nick, and I have read all of Ennison Dillon's Preacher. Today we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 7 of the AMC series titled Pig. While we will not be spoiling any of the comic, and by extension any future plot lines of the show, we will be discussing the details of the series through Season 2, Episode 7, so pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of the episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. That's the letter G, number two, letter T, podcast.com. We're also G2T Podcast on Twitter, and you can send feedback to g2tpodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Preacher or our podcast. Today, we got a lot of listener feedback from yeah, we did. several different people, and it's fantastic. Fabulous. Thank you so much for writing in. Please Thank continue you. to do so. Do so. Lots of different ideas and other things that people wrote in about. So uh, let's get to it. Um, everybody seemed to touch on the souls for sale stuff. So yes. I kind of pulled those comments out just to get the, the poll of the audience. So Mike wrote in, he said, I'm sure a lot of people will not like the souls for sale bit, but I absolutely loved it. Creative as hell, and I continue to enjoy the idea that heaven and hell and the supernatural world have the same petty little problems that we all have. A pretty metered response. Uh, I, I think I think that makes sense. And and I th- he, everybody here seems to put a little more context into it than I did in terms of the like, I thought it was cool, but it doesn't <laughs> feel like it's comics material. Right. But. Yeah, um, we are. Uh, we and myself in particular are unfortunately sometimes unconsciously bound by yeah. the books. S- similar to to Mike's feelings about Jesse and how much of a dick he's being in the show. As yeah, well. and but, a lot of the feedback really did a great job of reminding me that these are two separate. This is an adaptation. Yeah, and that things are going to diverge, and it, sometimes that's for the best. It brought us back to our our conversation that we had a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, Mike did send us a comic spoiler email that that I just notified you about so you could read. <laughs> and I didn't know if there was much that you could respond to on air, but I just wanted to acknowledge that we got it. Yes. And I want to acknowledge that I'm just really have been poor about replying to it. But I did <laughs> read it and I like where your head's at, Mike. And uh, I will respond to it. There we go. Because I think there there's definitely some you're you're going in a good direction, I think. So we'll, more more to come probably off air good. When, when we talk about that. Sounds good. Uh, we got an email all the way from Bombay, India, which is mind-blowing to so me. So dope. Uh, Vijeta, I hope I didn't butcher her name, but I did ask for a pronunciation. So. Uh, she said, just had a theory about the whole scene of killers accepting Jesse at face value when he says God is gone. I think the scene of killers can tell when people are telling the truth. In the first episode of this season, he told Preacher Mike that there's no use lying. He'd know the truth. Again, in the same episode, he knows it's false when the gas station attendant says they weren't here before his tongue gets ripped out. She puts awesome in quotations or in, in parentheses. <laughs> I think this is why he believes Jesse so readily. That's a great point. Yeah. I didn't think about that at all. Yeah. He may, he may have some 
truth, truth lie detector yeah, powers. Exactly. Interesting. I I don't know how that would work for him, but I I mean they have those are two very concrete examples of him being uh, able to absolutely yeah. yeah it may just be part of his power set or maybe he's just doesn't take any bullshit Along with his, i don't know yeah it, it could, could also be just like uh the it may not be a power so much as the grit and experience of just dealing with bad people and like professional liars that uh, yeah you know some people you know even like federal agents are trained to know yep. through so many ways when someone's lying or when they're telling the truth and maybe he just has a little more insight that's that's entirely but i do possible. totally believe the the possibility exists that it's part of his like power set along yeah. with his yogurt boiling bullets and <laughs> crazy weapons uh vj Tai went on to say i'm digging the soul twist it's interesting that they have updated the whole selling your soul to the devil bit and have brought it to the 21st century i'm completely fine with the technology coming into the mix it's different in parentheses, also, I'm a longtime Supernatural fan, and I'm tired out from all their soul soul shenanigans. Yeah, there's no such thing as a short-time Supernatural fan anymore, <laughs> because it has gone on forever. I want to meet the guy that jumped in at season nine. Dude, it <laughs> blows my mind, because I watched it through season six, and I thought, my God, this show's been going on for a long time. Yeah. That was when season six aired, yeah. which was now six or seven years ago. <laughs> the show is twice as old as it was when I was watching it, and I thought it was old then. Does it keep, I guess this is a question for a different, the, the Midwest Supernatural Nerds podcast, but it, do, does it keep getting 22 episode seasons? Probably. <laughs> we'll have, well, I'll, I'll do some fact checking in a minute. The stupid thing is, is it's really good. I mean, all the way through... Uh, season six, which was half its lifetime ago, I still thought it was a great show, and that's all I've ever heard, and I've never seen any of it, and I really need to check it out. Yeah, cause... it's a it's a cool show because I I wish more we got more original properties like that that kind of get a cool hook and then they they turn in a new direction and kind of really hit their stride. Yeah, because like the first season's a lot of fun, but it's like Scooby Doo. Yeah, and then season two suddenly builds this crazy overarching story that continues for like the next four or five years and then each season has its own little arc and then like two through four have their own arc it's really cool awesome. like it just becomes really layered and it builds this universe and well it's, maybe it's maybe after uh, preacher i'll dive into it it looks oh, like there's 12 seasons ye gods you have so much watching <laughs> there's 12 seasons and there's only one of them that is under 22 episodes dude it's <laughs> it's crazy that's nuts it's a fun show it's a little corny from time to time but it's fun yeah uh Vijeta, thank you very much for writing in. We're yes. very glad to have you listening Absolutely. halfway across the world. That's so awesome. Uh, Bruce, longtime friend of the Bruce. show, Bruce, wrote in. Uh, he said, I love the season on the whole so far, even if the Victor subplot was slightly fillery. I thought episode six was okay, but the soul harvesting f- plot felt a bit hokey, and I now have no clue how souls are supposed to work in this universe. <laughs> the saint doesn't have one, yet goes to hell. It just raises too many questions. I'm glad I'm not the only one who was slightly thrown by the intro. I felt like I was watching a lost episode of the Constantine TV show for a few minutes. And it all felt like they wrote sent themselves into a corner with Genesis not working on the saint, but then very quickly undid it to make him less OP, overpowered for those yeah. who aren't as huge nerds as we are. Uh, but overall, I thought the episode was decent. Uh, Bruce, great to hear from you. Yes. Welcome back, Bruce. Fine points. Somebody somebody on Nick's side of the soul. <laughs> Whoa. The soul. <laughs> uh, we're setting up the teams here. No. There, There's a firmly uh, taped line across the middle of this podcast <laughs> table. And there are extra chairs. So come and sit on whatever, whichever side you subscribe yes, to. Yes, everybody's welcome. No, I... Uh, 
We let's <laughs> let me let me get through Joseph's email and then we can re, we can slightly relitigate this whole thing if we okay. want to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Bruce did want me to mention he does have a podcast called Screenplay Archaeology. It's on SoundCloud. He told us last year he was going to make an episode where he goes back through the different adaptations of Preacher that were attempted because there's awesome. scripts and things that are out there. So I haven't listened to it because there are comic spoilers in it, but it is out there on SoundCloud. Search for Screenplay Archaeology. It's the most recent episode that he put out. I'm going to find it. uh, Because we talked about that, I think, in season one of our show. Yeah, he he messaged us. He'd been planning on doing it for a while, and he just got around to it. That's super cool. Yeah. I'm going to look for it. Thank you for joining us once again, Bruce. And then uh, Joseph wrote in. Joseph wrote in during season one, and I missed his email because we had two podcast emails set up and i now have them filter into the same email so i can catch everybody's emails now but uh joseph wrote in he said i wanted to give you my experience of sakosha as a non-comic reader i really enjoyed it and it feels like they're building a world definitely not the world of the comics and maybe all the mysteries won't pay off but so far it's very cool magic and voodoo colon I definitely get the feeling that magic isn't hidden very far below the surface in Preacher's universe. Eugene and Mike really expect to feel God answering their prayers. And side note, I think they say that they don't feel him there anymore. Yeah, yep. uh, so there are books about actual soulless monsters in the library and angels are auditioning actors to play God. There's a lot of supernatural stuff, hokey stuff going on. Yep. Uh, under the circumstances, the Voodoo Soul Extractors and the Japanese Soul Company felt like they fit. They tied with Jesse's comments on his mother's family not coming to the wedding, and it generally fit with the weird steampunky magic science that the show universe is setting up. Hell runs on wonky projector machines. Angels call home on a crank phone. So, if there are Voodoo practitioners taking soul, why not use needle souls? Why not use needles and the spinner that Jesse points out in the Voodoo shop? And if there is magic science, is it surprising that somebody smart would find a better way to do it? fair point uh he says this season feels to me like it's mostly about character revelations cassie is revealing himself to be more manipulative and cunning than the helpless good-hearted doofus we saw in season one tulip is searching (laughs) for some kind of family and structure i don't know if i agree about that tulip point because it remains a little unclear as to what exactly tulip is searching for even more so at the end of this episode yeah well she kind of abandoned the family and structure kind of thing from victor like right. when she goes to Victor, but obviously she found some of that in Victor too. So that's kind of, she's, she's, there's more to it than that, I guess. Tulip's definitely the kind of person for who the grass is always, always greener on the other side. And yeah. like, she'll hop over to that side and go, well, this is pretty nice, but, but I liked, I liked, I liked that. And then hop <laughs> over there and say, well, but I miss this. She wants to have her cake. Yeah. Uh, and Jesse, while Jesse runs much deeper than suspected in season one, he's not just a reformed Bonnie and Clyde badass trying to make good. Victor showed us just how dark he can go into a rage and how concerned Tulip is about how dark he can go. And we still may not know how far he can sink. Sakosha showed us that he has some black magic roots as well. Kind of the most terrifying thing about Jesse is how du- judgmental and, well, Old Testament style God he can get when he's in a rage. He calls Castian just who he is. He gets fully medieval on Victor and his torturer. And his sheer outrage at the idea of the saint going to heaven is a little terrifying. I think some of that is how much Jesse hates the parts of himself that he knows are wrong. But I also wonder if they're setting up a parallel between Jesse and God himself. Jesse isn't just learning the lesson of why God has to give people free will by watching what happens when he tries to command them. He's also learning the difference between justice and mercy. Victor, his torturer, Cassidy, the saint, Tulip, etc. all deserve condemnation, but maybe it's better to give them forgiveness. 
If I'm right, the show takes it all the way. The final solution is the biblical one for Jesse to take the punishment that everyone else deserves and give them another chance. I think that would be hard to bring home, however, so I'd be surprised if they went that far. Maybe. I, I think it's an interesting road for them to go down. It is. Jesse is the Jesse Custer, Jesus Christ. I mean, uh. <laughs> that's, that's entirely possible. And then uh, Joseph's final point here. He says, the saint, I'll confess, whenever Nick talked about how awesome it was that the saint just chases Jesse over and over and over like Jaws chasing the family in Jaws 1, 2, 3, and 4, I was not excited. As much as Nick loves his comic books, I don't think a repetitive element like that would make for good TV. As an unspoiled show watcher, what I got from the episode is that the saint is an asshole. He's not just a wrong father searching for justice. He killed DeBlanc and all those cops and all those random people just because he likes killing. And when he gets a chance, he does it like you or I might grab a brownie from the plate as we pass by. He just likes it. He doesn't give a shit about the people he's killing any more than we feel sorry for that brownie. <laughs> so when Jesse pulls out his judgment voice and starts mocking the saint for thinking he might get to go to heaven, he's absolutely right. But I'll be interested to see if a smidgen of the soul changes the saint in any way. Yeah, that is a really mean moment for Jesse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to go. Uh, so that's a really loaded email. There's a lot in there. And that's why I wanted to read it in full because yes. I felt like there were several awesome points. Yes, which I've already forgotten. <laughs> I, I, I am already formulating replies and then the next good point comes up and I discard that one <laughs> and start thinking of a new one. So I guess the, the first we can take it in sections here, the magic and the voodoo. We can we can talk about the soul company here like it. After finishing last week, it, it kind of. I feel like I'm willing to give the rest of the season to see if Jesse's family stuff grounds that anymore. I don't know if it's going to, but I want to see if it does. And even if it doesn't, I'm kind of okay of it being this concept that is possible in this world of preacher. Yeah, you put it really well when you likened it to Constantine. You thought there's this kind of underlying world where there's a weird blend between magic and technology and it doesn't necessarily ever get fleshed out or explained and that's okay and i think that that does work and i think that on other properties i would really welcome that like i really love when movies and tv are unafraid to throw you into a world and let you sort it out yeah and i think that it it, it's one of those things where upon after our conversation last week and then you know spending another week kind of thinking about it it does digest better with me than i thought it would yeah but i just don't know if it's tough because even the the kind of extreme fantastical stuff in the book kind of gets kind of feels feasible yeah and and souls are such an intangible undefinable thing as you said last week that it's it's hard to kind of tackle that and expect us to just be like, oh, I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? I wonder if it's they would have asked if they would have put a little more grease over the lens in terms of like not showing them going into the vent. Like if it wasn't like an intravenous process, yeah. like if it was just like a weird like vest that he put on or something like that. I think what it's going to boil down to is if as you, as you, I think it was you Alex who mentioned if these are, if these people have been supplied this technology by some sort of fallen angel, or some sort of heavenly uh, host of some sort who has helped humans do this. Yeah. Then it'll make a little more sense because I don't think humans can devise something like this on their own. 
And maybe yeah. they can. And that, that's kind of what I was wondering if we cover that with Jesse's family. It seems like if they're very much into the voodoo-y part of it, if the voodoo process... Like, if we if we cut to a flashback of somebody doing the old school voodoo and developing that process, yeah. I don't know why we would ever do that, so I question that it would ever happen, but... Yeah, same here. Like, I'm, wonder, I, I'm at this weird tipping point where I need a little more, but at the same time, I don't want the show to spend any more time on it anymore. Yeah. But I don't want it to be treated as a throwaway device of saying, like, here's how we get souls, and this is it. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, like you're saying, fleshing out the, the history of it might make it a little bit easier to to cope with but right now it's just kind of in this little awkward non-committal phase and i gotta wait for the rest of the season to play out yeah to know how how it's really gonna land there's a lot of these rogue sort of uh elements and plot points and deviations that the show is taking from the books my gut reaction to most of them is one of like you know kind of curling my lip at it and going i don't know about that but obviously uh, a lot of the listeners embrace a lot of it wholly which i think is probably the appropriate reaction we're just, you know, and we're going to say, I'm going to say this every week. We're at that point now where this season is now running parallel to the books. And so naturally some things aren't going to sit well. Yeah. And uh, some things are probably going to be improvements. And it's wholly possible, if not probable, that at the end of the season, I'll look back and say that was a really cool decision. Or uh, AMC, Jesse Custer is a more interesting, well-developed character than uh, comic book Jesse Custer. Yeah. Which is... You know, the comic Jesse, as we've talked about, is, is pretty two-dimensional. And that's kind of what I like about him. He's he's almost your cipher in a way sometimes. And you, even though he has, a, he has a past and it does get visited, he's often surrounded by this crazy stuff. And you're really along for the journey with him. Yeah. Because he's getting introduced to these wacky characters in these crazy situations. Yeah. And so I feel like he was sort of that for us in season one. And the more... Uh, complex he gets he simultaneously becomes a better character but i also lose that sort of connection i have with him as like he's going through this with us you know what i'm saying yeah but i think even in this like in this week's episode i think we maybe might see it kind of pivoting towards tulip more yeah and that's true tulip's feelings about this i i and obviously it's if, if it's jesse in the comics like i think there's certainly some like it's hard because they're kind of an like the show to me and i don't know if this is right the show feels a little more ensemble than the comic even does like these three are like yes and no yeah so i don't i I don't i don't necessarily know i i wouldn't i can't commit to that being true or not but it does spend more time with the characters individually in the show than in the book usually jesse's always there yeah or uh tulip and cassidy are there you get more one-on-one time with them in the show yeah sure but in the book, Jesse is pretty much constantly reacting to situations on the fly without necessarily a real good game plan or knowledge. And in this show, he's actually shown like he has solutions for problems other than just fighting his way out of it. Yeah. And so he's, you know, like the voodoo thing. He goes in and he, he shows immense knowledge of this. And in the books, he pretty much just knows about like fist fighting and drinking. Yeah. And uh, that makes him more John Wayne-ish. And so he's easier to just kind of like go along with. So again, it's good. Objectively, it's good. Like how much more he has going for him in the show and how much more time they're spending trying to round him out. But obviously it's just different. Yeah. And so it takes, it takes, we'll see, we'll see in the back six episodes here if they can meet it up on the other side. However, the saint, I do not like them trying to make the saint a little more of a character. I guess they're not trying to make him more of a character, but I, I understand 
the criticism of like him just being this unstoppable driving force, but I think I still think it's great because I don't really view the saint as so much of a character as more of like a story device. Well, and I think to Joseph, I don't know if he realizes, maybe he does, but the way that you're describing the saint to me as being this unstoppable force, it's something that you know is always there. It's not like it's something in the comic book where there's always a page about the saint and whatever crap he's currently in on his way headed to Jesse. Yeah, every issue does not end with him walking through like a cornfield. (laughs) Yeah, which it is like in the TV show almost. So I think maybe it's litigated a little bit better in the comic in terms of like, here's a frame of the saint walking on a a highway somewhere or something. And then you forget about it for several issues. Yes. So it plays differently on the show as opposed to... And I shouldn't say that he's not a character in the book because he does have character. It's just, it happens quickly and it's that's pretty much it. Yeah. So he's not... He's not a shark. I, I think the parallel to Jaws is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it, you, I was laughing really hard when I read the email and just now when Alex was reading it. But... Uh, yeah, that's pretty much exactly it. And I think in the book, they do move more frequently. They're always on the move a lot more. They're not spending like weeks in one location. So yeah. having him always kind of around is kind of an okay thing. Yeah. And sometimes they, the characters, I think, forget about him too. Yeah. And that's, I just think it's it's a really cool thing to have in the background. Like I'm, I... I think giving him a little bit more to do in the show or making him more complex in terms of him not having a soul and now having 1% of a soul, I think that's interesting. I just don't love that he's just in a truck in the bottom of a swamp. And we know he's going to get out. Yeah. And and uh, that's all well and fine. At this point, I'm kind of okay for him to not show up. Like, if, okay. It could go a few different ways. If he didn't show up until the finale... Mm-hmm. I think the that'd season be, finale? Yeah. Okay. I think that'd be okay. And if yeah. he didn't show up till season three, and it, I'd probably still even be okay with that. And it'll be an awesome moment. But like, I kind of don't want to see him get out of that truck. What do you think about that? Like, what if we just don't know that he gets out and then he shows up, as you know, at the worst possible that's moment? That's probably what'll happen. Yeah. I mean, that that would be the smart thing to do. It, it would be a cool moment. It's one of those things where fans of the show and the book will you know if they see somebody if the season ends with somebody towing that truck out and that's all we see that will be cool but you're right if we hold that out just a little bit longer and then we just see him it's the old hitchcock surprise versus suspense if we don't get the suspense of this and we just get the surprise of this i think that's a good it would be pretty i think that fits what you've told me of the saint more than more than the we know he's back on the road again. Yeah. And we'll see him in a few episodes. What's funny is so. he's still on the show even if he's locked up. Like yeah. he features pretty prominently in this episode and I think it's yeah. terrific. Yeah. And yeah, this show's kind of weird too because even the guy, uh, Pip Torrens, who plays Hare Stark, and uh, Julianne Emery, who plays Lara Featherstone, are both in the main credits. Yeah. And we don't see them for three or four episodes right. out of these first seven. Which is kind of crazy, but also cool to me. Like I don't. It's cool they're not stingy about giving people like proper billing. Yeah, because shows like I remember uh, Deadwood. The opening credits had like, I mean that cast is huge, yeah. and there would only be so many of them listed in the credits. And then uh, you would have the credits of the show, and then they would show up at the lower thirds. You know, yep. like directed by yep. guest starring, and you would see even though if they were in, you know, ten straight episodes they'd still be guest stars you know yeah. what i mean i like that they that for this show they're just like you know screw it they're they're main cast members yeah and i guess maybe that goes to show how focused they are on these three 
main characters. Like yeah. they're so they're they're so integral to at least the beginning of the, the half, first half of the season that the other people that they're considering main characters of the season aren't showing up in right. earnest until halfway through. So. Yeah, I really would love to keep these kind of conversations going with people via email yeah. and that sort of thing. Maybe we can even start like, you know, if we get down the road and we find that we're able to make the time, maybe we can start like a Slack chat and start inviting people. Because I know be another awesome. podcast I listen to, they do that for a bit and they start totally. to invite people to their Slack chat and then we can kind of, you know, yeah, we talk can, a little more frequently. We can, totally do that. we can even make a spoiler and non-spoiler section so that you guys can talk to me and also talk to Nick. So. Yeah, and we, you know, part of the reason we started doing shows like this was to be able to have these conversations with each other and, and you know, it, it gets harder the older we get to find the time to sit down and, and have these kind of talks. And so, you know, if, if we can make an outlet like that, uh, for other people as well, I think that'd be pretty cool. You know, most message boards are just cesspools. And when you want to discuss something that you like with people who also like it, it's hard to find people who are civil and yeah, absolutely. And, I, yeah. And willing to hear other points of view. That's very true. All right. With all that said and done, thank you guys very much for writing in. Uh, We'd love to keep hearing from you. Uh, maybe we'll figure out the Slack chat going on too, because that would be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But if that's something that interests you, please let us know. And, and if and uh, if you had a point that we didn't hit that you think you would like to hear a little bit more on, just circle back around with yeah. your email. Oh, absolutely. We we <laughs> it was an embarrassment of riches this week in Absol- terms of feedback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So please, we absolutely read everything we get. And if there are things that I don't mention, it's not because I don't think they're important. It's just because I'm trying for the sake of things to not take 20 minutes to do feedback which right. i just did <laughs> yeah so enjoy that first part of the episode if you didn't write in and you don't care <laughs> yeah but yeah write in i mean I, i'm so guilty of it too i listen to a lot of shows and they're always like please write in anything let us know that you're out there and you're listening and i'm always like i should and then i don't i was geeked that we got an email from india oh, last yeah, right week. On. like that was that was awesome and and even from anybody you could email me from Royal Oak, Michigan, and I'm going to be just as happy about it because yeah. glad to know that people are out there listening. And we've so. been fortunate too with people who write in. Like we don't really, ha- we have never really had any like trolls or anybody who's just trying to goad us into yeah. into anger or anything <laughs> like that. Like people genuinely won't love this and want to talk about it, and that's just fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let's move on with episode 207, titled "Pig." The uh, Manila folder, the top one, the one above Jesse Custer yep. and uh, Hair K Stark's uh, star. Hair K Star, yeah, excuse me. Pig Stark. <laughs> Damn it. Just got Downey on the mind. Yeah, or Game of Thrones, either way. Oh, yeah, there's a bunch of Starks running around. Uh, Hair Star's pile of files. Pile, file, pile. <laughs> file, pile. Pig is on top <laughs> above Jesse, and we finally get to find out what the pig is in this teaser. In Vietnam, a pig begins levitating, attracting attention from all over the world. Hair Star visits the pig and is disgusted by the worship it's receiving. Uh, it was pretty short. Did you like the teaser? It, yeah, it uh, it spooked me out at first when when she's screaming. I was like, "Who is yeah, standing?" I was there? like, "What the hell is she looking?" I was <laughs> bracing myself for something really just crazy, and I had no idea what it was going to be. And then when it was revealed, I was like, "Oh, that's cute." Yeah. It was not. I expected something like horrifying. Yeah. I didn't know what it was though. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be like a reanimated corpse, and I, I really had no idea. Yeah, that was cool though. That was pretty good. And then when Hair Star gets out of the vehicle to like land in Vietnam, the kid runs up with an Atlanta Falcons jersey, uh, like 
uh, Super Bowl championship shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm always fascinated by what happens to the losers' apparel. Yeah, because boy, do they make it! I mean, they make the jerseys, they make the hats, the pennants, the stickers, and then it just gets donated to like third <laughs> to world Vietnam, to third world countries. <laughs> and you, I've seen these crazy photos of just stuff like that like you know looking at mostly detroit teams yeah. who like made an appearance but didn't win and you see some kids in another country wearing their stuff and you're just like oh god that's just so <laughs> weird it's just strange that that's where it ends up you know what i mean i saw it and because i'm not like an avid football guy i'm like did they they, they didn't win did they <laughs> i had to look it up and i was like that's fantastic it was very funny so there's definitely a lot of really these are the kind of jokes that i love in this show yeah that are quick and that are subtle actually subtle <laughs> and 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 really clever and yeah. they don't need to be there to make the show work no but they 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 just bring it to life that much more almost like the dick cheney joke absolutely things like that even <laughs> though that's i don't even want to say that's a cheap shot it was good but little things like that they don't need to be there and yet they just enhance the flavor so much yeah absolutely uh anything else in the teaser oh man hair star even from the teaser even from the beginning i was like oh boy has he arrived I was I was very curious because I was like we're spending a lot of time with Hair Star in this episode and I was like I can't wait to see what Nick felt because it felt like they were actually beginning to characterize him obviously so yeah and you know they characterize him more than they do in the books and I loved it so that's awesome something weird is going on with me where with some ca- it, you know nobody is nobody gets a free pass it's like I have to see what they do and how they do it in order to re- discover if I like it or yeah, not yeah absolutely. And uh, I shouldn't say they do anything with him that's out of character. It's all very in line with him. And it's not like he really develops. He's pretty much true to himself from yeah. start to finish. <laughs> and it's just pure gold. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about him more in a oh, minute. Yeah. Uh, into Act 1, as the drunken dead carts clean up the bodies on the streets of New Orleans. So good. The gang exits the last jazz club in the city. Jesse takes note of a doomsday speaker across the street while Cassidy convinces the gang to go to the Hurt Locker. The gang grift the entire betting crowd there by shooting Cassidy with the largest gun possible. And after everybody leaves, Jesse claims their money out of the betting box. Uh, I like the appearance of the Hurt Locker as Cassidy brought it up last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole thing feels like it feels like a lot of what we were talking about with Westworld of people taking pleasure in terrible, disgusting things to do to other humans. Yeah. Although people are volunteering to be shot so i guess and they're it's not betting as on bad it. yeah and they're <laughs> totally betting on it so it's gross all around but it's not quite as bad as it's really crazy how they they choose that gun and they're like surprised when it goes through him and kills him yeah you know what i mean they're like shocked <laughs> like that's what happened and i'm like are you kidding you could shoot a rhino with that thing it's crazy yeah, yeah. it was a good scene though i liked it it was a little bit of like that that felt very in line with the the camaraderie of the three of them in the books. Like that's the kind of thing they would do to scare up some cash, and they wouldn't feel bad about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they're f- they're fleecing people that aren't really good. I mean, they're not necessarily bad either. They're just stupid. Yeah. But they're just <laughs> taking their money, and I, I liked it. And all all the three characters were good. The kind of tension that Jesse felt uh, between Cassidy and Tulip was interesting. And in that moment, he doesn't he doesn't. Uh it goes back to the micro expressions that Dominic Cooper's using because he doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like he's threatened by it, but he takes note of it. Yeah. And you know that he does. He doesn't break character in his, in their little con. Yeah. 
and I was wondering like is he gonna is he gonna flip it's out like when is it gonna come up right and then it just came up at the bar and then it kind of gets laughed off yeah but it's yeah like you said he takes notes it's there for sure um <laughs> Cassidy over or reacting to tulips overacting at the end there was pretty good too because she screams out no yeah and you see Cassidy just give this look of like where the hell did that come from <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was pretty good I like how they have a blood blood pouch ready with a straw yeah. <laughs> like it's a like it's a Capri Sun for it it's great Cassidy's own personal Capri Suns yeah uh, that'd be a great tie-in for the show <laughs> missed opportunity <laughs> all right uh, anything else on Act One. Act two, hanging out at the Hurt Locker. Tulip has been having trouble sleeping ever since she met the saint. And Jesse seems slightly jealous about to kiss about her kiss with Cassidy. Cassidy learns that Denis is dying and wishes his father would grant him immortality. But Cass ends up getting picked up by the dead cart as when he is uh, prodded with the taser. Literally drinks move. himself to death, I think. Yeah. I think he may actually be dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fair. And then uh, Hairstar provides some backstory in his interview with the men in white suits. So, um, yeah, there's not a whole lot here, but Tulip, tu- obviously Tulip's been affected by the thing with the saint, as we were, as I was kind of, suge- yeah. or thought I was seeing mm-hmm. uh, last episode. And even by the end of this episode, I don't necessarily know that I grasp it all the way. My guess last week was that she's dealing with her own mortality, but yeah, I it, have a I have another theory along the lines of that that maybe is a little more lingering. Yeah, if you want me to talk about it an hour later, uh, we'll bring it up in a little bit. Oh, okay, I brought, yeah, I brought I brought things up a little early, but uh, Denis wants to be a vampire. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. When you put it that way, it's even funnier. <laughs> he, he doesn't want to be a vampire. He wants well, to live he wants forever. To be immortal. Yeah. yeah, but Cassidy is really like the bare minimum requirements to be a vampire. Though he just needs to drink blood. Like he doesn't. He doesn't fit a, a, a lot of the archetypes of vampires where they're kind of evil and they're. I mean, well, I guess I shouldn't say that about Cass because he. I think he has some evil tendencies. Yeah, we're seeing more. Kind of, he even kind of hints at. Uh, but I know you know he's just like he just needs to drink it to heal like he doesn't even crave it like every day you know what i mean we only see him drinking it when like he's been wounded well the other major thing that we see is he obviously burns in the sun right so but he doesn't seem to have the disposition of what we think of when we think of vampires and even in the book he's a little bit more bloodthirsty uh obviously still with a very like charming bent to it yeah but uh it's it's part of the whole cast character i think that whole sort of facade of likability yeah well, and it's not even like he um, feels the need to sire other vampires, I right. think. So it's in like, fact, he like actively resists it. He's yeah. like he's like mortified by the thought of doing that to to Dennis. Dennis, yes. Oh, God, I love that. I love that he just <laughs> once he again just he doesn't even try. Find the dump truck full of Emmys and dump <laughs> it into Joe Gilgan's house. Yep. Absolutely. So that he can't breathe and he suffocates because he is so good and the way he just keeps casually throwing out dennis yeah and just refuses to adapt <laughs> to, to calling him by his proper name is so funny yeah uh and then hair star so we're kind of oh we see uh, uh the the scene at the bar real quick the, yeah. the scene with dennis i thought were denis <laughs> there i go <laughs> is uh really sad and really terrific i thought it was great like i could watch a whole episode of the two of them interacting 
and the, the the two lane French professor who just happens to have not fled the bar, <laughs> yeah, and is just sitting there, well, who, yeah, who he, looks vaguely like Stephen King. He was he was, so he was bent over the the bar at first, so it's like he was passed out drunk, right. but then he woke up and heard some French going on. It was so like, funny, and for some reason that's such a lazy, yeah, stupid thing to write in, but I was totally okay with it because they're they're kind of upfront with it, like yeah, oh here. Here at probably three or four a.m. <laughs> is the French press professor from Tulane. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, I liked it. But the scene was definitely you know a a big twinge of melancholy. And when Denise storms out of there, and and the professor translates for him that then I will die hating you. And Cass says like most people do. I was yeah. like, ooh, yeah. God, is that good? <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> I can't wait for the show to be over just so that you know. I don't mean that in a way that I want it to be canceled at the end of the season or, you know, anytime in the next few years, but I really want to be able to see it through to the end and then rewatch it all and, and look for and savor these little moments with like Jesse and Cassidy and Tulip as they're, as they're growing. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. It was a great scene. It was very good. It was very good. Uh, Hairstar in Vietnam, uh, basically getting his shoes waxed and realizes that he can use the water as an excuse for the issue that's going on there. Mm-hmm. But uh, 2004, so I guess 13 years ago on the show, kind of maybe, Klaus Helmut Starr, he's, he's like a high-ranking serviceman in Germany, and he's meeting with a man named Saltenstall. Is that somebody in the books? We never even hear his name in the show. I don't remember. I okay. It could very well be. You meet a lot of people from that organization. And uh, he is not the character who I thought he was going to be. Okay. So when, so that guy, that that guy, he's always that guy. He always plays like bad dudes on TV shows. He's actually in Supernatural for a while. And as soon as he popped up, I was like, oh, him? <laughs> and then I was like, is he playing who, you know, there's a certain character I thought he was playing. And he would think, thankfully he was not. Because yeah. I was like, that would have been. Uh, a waste. <laughs> Over very Well, quickly. just, just not good casting. And then by the end of the episode, yeah, I was like, okay, clearly it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't really get much information about him, but, you know, other than obviously he was at the head of this Samson unit, or maybe? I think he is the head of Samson unit, Okay, They they don't really clarify that until the end, and even then it's not entirely sure. I didn't know if he was, like, appointing Star the head of Samson unit, or if he was the head of Samson unit. I think he may have been... He may have been interviewing for the position of like the sort of field, I guess you said the right hand man. Yeah, sort of the field commander of the Samson unit, but yeah. maybe not the overall like director of the Samson unit. That's fair. Yeah. And Star's the kind of guy who he likes to get his hands dirty, but at the same time he doesn't want to answer anybody. He doesn't have to. Yeah. Fair enough. In the book, Star is firmly like in command of Samson unit to a hilarious degree. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, we only get a little bit of, of, of the backstory here, so we can continue on to Act 3 unless the, you want to the, say anything else first, about that. The first, first like, couple hints at Star's insane sexual deviancy were really funny. Yeah. He has <laughs> the most erratic and in, in a crazy sexual appetite that doesn't make any sense, and <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. And he had several lines already in this first scene that made me like chuckle. <laughs> like I, I was watching this episode late at night, and I was trying to be quiet while I was watching it on my iPad. And uh, I actually like laughed out loud a couple times because and uh, every uh, totally moments for him because yeah. he is 
So good. And it's weird because I'm pretty forgiving of his like semi lackluster German accent. Yeah. He like definitely dips between British and, and German. And I'm like, I don't even care because he, he just nailed the characterization so good. Yeah. So I can no longer hold that against Noah Taylor. Well. Although I guess I not every German character needs to have like a cartoonishly uh, That's broad true. German accent. His is definitely like There's this this weirdly... It, it's there when it needs to be. Yeah. And, and, and that the right uh, kind of syllables. You just wouldn't words. expect a man who's like a commander of some kind in the army to like not have a thick right. German and, accent. Yeah, exactly. You expect him to be like from the heartland of Germany. And yeah. in these type of characters we've seen in other movies and shows, they're usually kind of over the top yeah. and probably inaccurate. <laughs> yeah. Extremely overacted or something. Yeah. Like, like uh, we're used to seeing like in Nazis in Indiana Jones movies or yeah. like, you know, the only, usually they're just very like crazy. Yeah. The accents. Anyway, he's, he's very, very fun to watch. And, uh, any praise I heap upon star is not because I agree with him in any way, but <laughs> he's such a wildly entertaining character and I think Pip, is it Torrens? I think it's Torrens. Okay. Yeah. He's really visually arresting. Like he's very interesting to watch. And he has that look of just like mild distaste at all times like he should. And yeah. it's just really fun to watch him because he's kind of that character where you you kind of have a really good handle on how he's going to react to any given situation. And I think that I've probably talked about other people on this sh- on this show like that as well, where you get to know the character to a level where a situation presents itself and you're already like, you're like, I can't wait to see <laughs> yeah. what they're going to do, but you kind of know what vein it's going to be in. And I think the two, I always default to sitcoms for this because they thrive on those kind of characters. And mm-hmm. the two I always think of are Kramer and Joey Tribbiani. And they're yeah. obviously like these, the, the kind of wild card characters, but even though they are so kooky and so crazy, you know when cer- you've been conditioned to know like when a certain situation presents itself, you know how they're going to react and you can't wait to watch it happen, even though it's a little predictable. Like if you see a beautiful woman come in and friends, you know what Joey's going to do <laughs> and you can't wait to see it. Yeah. And that's so satisfying in a weird way. Like you would think that the lack of suspense there would be dull, but it's not because you, these characters are so fun. And that's kind of the way Hairstar is. Interesting. Even though he surprised me a couple times this episode and I <laughs> thought it was so good. Anyway, he'll be a really fun one to watch unfold and I'm so glad he's finally here. I've yeah. been bottling this in for so long now. Well, good. I'm glad you can you can let it out. Yes. Uh, all right. Act three, we've got Tulip having a double dream about her interaction, interaction with the Saint of Killers. She wakes up and tells Jesse that she dreamt about him again, but Jesse seems to brush it off and then goes to meet the Doomsday Doomsday Sayer, the proselytizer, as I called him. Uh, I liked the dream sequence, but by the second time I watched it, I was just kind of like, I know everything that happens here. And I just kind of like glossed over it a you little bit. You mean a rewatch of the episode? Yeah. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, the... Okay. So it's like a dream and then another dream. So yeah. she dreams initially. She, she gets like a very abstract dream of like the, the fingers, I'm floating and the yeah. fingers fall over her. And then she wakes up from that and goes to make tea. And then she gets kind of messed with. She goes yeah. back and forth between the hallway and, and yep. closing the window. So that scene I thought was so awesome. And I could totally see what you're saying. If I watched it again, I'd be like, I probably would have felt like this is a little too long. And even while I was watching it, I was like, what is going on? Like I, I begin to suspect like, okay, is this another dream? Because yeah. the, the window being reopened and then like the, the kettle being on, 
I thought it was awesome though initially. I was like, this is really suspenseful. Yeah. And I was really kind of on the edge of my seat, so to speak. And I was like, the show hasn't really done that to me yet. Yeah. Where I was like pretty thoroughly creeped out actually because I put myself in that scenario and everybody, everybody's house or apartment or whatever has those like house Makes noises. And yeah. And it doesn't matter how long you live there. Eventually like you, you get used to the, the common noises, but then a new one will kind of <laughs> pop up and you are just on high alert. Uh-huh. And I've had those moments in my house where I've like gotten up and like walked around kind of like her to be like, what is that? <laughs> and like in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is how people die. This is what happens. <laughs> this is how they get you. Yeah. And, uh, you go around and check the door and you check the windows and, uh, I think that's such a relatable fear that someone is in your dwelling, in your kind of bubble, and they're messing with you that I thought it worked really well. And in a way, I was kind of bummed out that it was a dream because I thought, okay, this is the members of the Grail coming into the house. Uh, that's what I thought it was at first. And like the window being open and then like some sort of distraction in the hallway. And I was like, they're in there and they're gonna they're trying to find her or Jesse. But uh, that would probably be giving them too much credit. <laughs> as you'll see <laughs> but anyway i thought it was a really creepy sequence and i absolutely loved this shot of the saint from her perspective where he's like simultaneously really far away yep but and, his, and yeah, his, his arm, his arm is, is like miles long yes oh my god was that, <laughs> that so was pretty cool. good that was so 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 cool with that crazy overhead lighting and the hat tipped down mm-hmm. to where it may not have even been grand mctavish and it doesn't matter like that was so awesome they had like it was really good. They had a few instances of fantastic, really severe lighting. Yes, that was one of them. And then also later with Hair Star when they're doing the seduction test, yes. and you see the lights come on and everybody's yep. back there. It was great. It's awesome. That was really really good. The show definitely goes for it in terms yeah. of cinematography, and that was a big thing in season one also. And they actually talked about that a lot on the on the Insider podcast. They yeah. talked about how they were working to really make it visually interesting. I'm so bummed that the that the podcast didn't come back because it's that the one for Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad is it's like a film school on its own. Maybe they'll do like a season two recap, like a big episode. Yeah. But I did love listening to that. I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the that sequence was was just very cool. And well, where does the scene end? So this act ends kind of with Jesse brushing off Tulip's trepidation or just kind of her her like worry about all of the situation kind of like you can see him starting to be unavailable essentially for for her to confide in uh, this is the part where she says don't you have that feeling that something's not right feeling yeah okay here's where i'm gonna talk okay this is the part where I talk. Well, yeah, I also didn't mention, but we did have Jesse watching Mark Herrlich's audition tape once oh, again. Th- but and once again, we get to see Mark <laughs> <laughs> Mark Herrlich auditioning to play God. It's so good! Getting I hope a lot of mileage. I hope it appears tape. in every episode because I think it's so good. And it's always the same part of the tape yep. too that he's watching. I wonder if there's some kind of clue there. Yeah, there might be something. <laughs> Just like Jesse, we're missing <laughs> something obvious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jesse's one-track mind is going to get him into lots of trouble, but I think it's going to also, he's going to miss things like Tulip clearly in some kind of distress. Yeah. So here's the part, and I, I felt this way last week, and I don't know if I expressed it or not because I can't remember what I say, but I was really curious how Jesse was going to react to missing a portion of his soul. And I don't mean in like a, like, oh no, I'm missing my soul kind of way. Like he kind of is at the end of this episode. Yeah. But like in an unconscious way. Like, yeah. I was like if, how is it going to change him? Yes. If you are depleted and not necessarily, I guess depleted is the wrong word. 
if if you are somewhat diminished in terms of your soul, uh, what does that do to your character? And I think, uh, and I forgive me because I forgot who wrote in with this particular point. We've seen Jesse go really dark already. Yeah, that and was I, Joseph. I think. Okay. I wonder if we're going to see him go to an even weirder, darker place. Like I almost wish some of that was saved for this. I don't want to say soulless Jesse, but like a lesser version of Jesse. Yeah. And I think it's part of his character to just kind of cowboy up and be like, oh, no big deal kind of thing. As I think he kind of tries to do. But I want to know what kind of unconscious effects this is going to have on him. And I we've already seen him kind of start to neglect Tulip. So I can't necessarily attribute that to this. Yeah. But I think maybe the uh, it could be increased. Well, and I, I, I forgot to mention back in Act 2 that Tulip asked him straight out, he's in hell now, right? Yeah. And and Jesse says yes, even though we know that he's not. Well, she says he's gone. He's in hell, right? And Jesse says he's gone. Okay. He doesn't ever outright tell her. I was it's wondering. A, it's I, a lie by omission. Right. I was wondering, is he going to say it? <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't. Yeah. And I feel like the effects that Tulip is feeling are the sort of thing I would expect Jesse to be feeling. Like I this kind of something's not right feeling. Existential dread. <laughs> yes, is something that I would think you would feel by having less of your soul or yeah. some sort of underlying psychotic episode would happen by being less than you used to be. And I, I kind of think, you know, and we see movies about like people losing their children or being kidnapped or like I just watched Prisoners again recently, which is a phenomenal movie. It doesn't mean to do with this, but please watch it. You see people reacting like when they're going through bouts of extreme grief and yeah. they're just not themselves. Yep. And I kind of am wanting to see something like that out of Jesse because even if it's only 1%, it's kind of like in the Disney Hercules where uh, doesn't he get 99% of his godhood back, but he's missing that like something the one like that. drop. Yeah. That's an awesome movie too. Kind of has something to do with this, <laughs> but please still do go watch it. It was on Netflix a while back and I watched it. Uh, yeah, that and then was, he, he's not quite what he should be until he gets. He that gets was going to be my argument. Was like it is one percent, but I would wonder if we're going to see a more gradual something, a more gradual decline of Jesse's character or something like. Yeah, that. and we, we again souls. We can't measure them. One yeah. percent might be a lot, and he because he asks the guy, "What's the minimum?" and he's like, "One percent." But then yeah. out of that, out of that donor or not donor, but that couple from the beginning of Sokosha, he, he takes ten or fifteen, right? Yeah. Okay, so he wanted, he said, how about 10? And he was like, 15 pays more. Yeah. And I was like, ew, like this is, this is gross. But I mean, maybe it's not, I just don't know what kind of argument the show is trying to make by doing this. Cause yeah. I, I can't say that maybe, oh, maybe the soul something you don't need is kind of the point of the show. But I can't imagine that's what they're after. Cause it seems like they're building as, as the uh, doomsday guy says, like there's something wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's clearly give somebody a kidney. Don't give them your soul. Right. Which is a great yeah. line. <laughs> anyway, th- I haven't fully developed my thoughts on this, but I, I expected a something more out of Jesse in terms of like, and I think by the end of this episode, he's kind of starting to think like, maybe I shouldn't have just done that. But at the same time, is it such a courageous act or was it an act of stupidity? And maybe yeah. it wasn't done out of, I don't know. Anyway, uh, write in with your thoughts about that because we've, uh, everybody clearly, Everyone that's written in clearly has thoughts on the soul thing. Yeah, we and feel w- one way or another about that, but right. what, what, what do you think about what the effects of it like, wh- well, should be or, or will be? Or, yeah, how they'll present themselves in Jesse, obviously, because it's, you know, that's a serious 
Seems like should a big be a, deal. It should be a serious thing. However, I also feel like I could see this show tossing it off of being like do, doing the, you know, it's your soul. Who can Like, I can, for some reason, I can only think about that Simpson episode where Bart <laughs> gives his soul away for something stupid. I can't even remember the whole episode. Yeah, he sells it for something really dumb. Yeah, right? he like, he trades it to like Millhouse. Yeah. To get a pack of gum, like a stick of gum, or something. I can't. Yeah, and I don't I, know if the whole uh, thesis in the end of this show might be something like your soul souls ultimately are just a thing we make up, and it's about your acts, it's the things you do, not like who you claim to be inside, or something like that. It could be, but at the same time, they're painting such a vivid picture of how terrible and evil and soulless, for lack of better term, that the general populace are in yeah. the show. That I feel like it's got to matter somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing you bring up haphazardly. Yeah, which which leads leads to the like it's we're we're gonna have to have more on the how this soul stuff works because and I think we will. Yeah, Jesse kind of by the end of this episode seems to kind of begin to be a little bit worried, and obviously we know now he is bound to the Saint of Killers in some really cool way. Yep, which I think that the two of them are are gonna. He this this if anything cements the fact that he'll be back because yeah you, it's like, it's like the it's it's the Neo and Agent Smith kind of exactly Alpha and Omega yep. kind of and situation a yin and yang like yep. they need they're gonna obviously need they can't one can't exist without the other now yep which is really interesting yeah all right uh, Act Four we go back to two thousand four Hair Star is running through the games with the men in white suits to figure out who will take the position that's available. Ultimately, his ruthlessness wins him the job, where Saltonstall explains that the organization is called the Grail, and they've been protecting Christ's bloodline since he fathered a child before dying for our sins. Hairstar's particular role in the organization is Samson Unit, who kills false prophets like Charlemagne, Lincoln, and John Belushi. (laughs) Hairstar then shoves Saltonstall off the roof and claims his office as his own. Um, So the Grail, just to mention a few episodes back, uh, I did a little clever editing because we did go back to see that Grail Industries is on the map that Tulip gives to Danny in season one. So we did get that little mention of Grail, and obviously that map did go to Hair Star. Weird that she would be like having somebody. Why? Why would? Why would Hair Star need somebody to retrieve this map? Maybe somebody stole it, shouldn't have had it, or something like that. I don't know. Maybe that'll come up more later, but yeah, I think the map is gonna come into play in some regard. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, so yeah, the training exercises. Uh, obviously, we get to see uh, Hair Star's uh, nipple piercings and chain right. that he's got between them, <laughs> which talks to his sexual deviancy, as you were talking about, uh, in some form or self-image. I don't know. It doesn't necessarily have to be about that. Um. Hairstar's disinterest in the whole religious aspect of the situation is is I find it I I want to call it intoxicating but I just find it very entertaining. Yeah. The idea that he's like you're going to validate our parking, right? Oh my <laughs> god, did I laugh. That was so funny. It was really really good. And then he just he's so he's so right. Like when he's <laughs> when he's, he I guess you shouldn't say he's right. He just is so uh, man. I, am I at a la- loss of words here? It's kind of like uh, he just wants things to be done right, the right way. And, he's got and like, it's like a righteous book. indignation yes, kind of situation. Yes. He wants to, he respects process, I yeah. think, and and procedure. 
And even the like, are you Christian in the first scene? Yeah. He was like, does it matter? And then yeah. he's like, well, yeah. And he's like, well, then absolutely. Well, yes, I am extremely. <laughs> yeah, he's just, it feels like he's conquered everything he could and he's just bored, which is pretty important to his character. Yeah. Like, I think part of the reason his insane sexual appetite exists is because he's just kind of bored. He's trying to find new things. He's done it. Yeah, he's done it all <laughs> way too much. And he's just like, is looking for new stimulation that he can't find anywhere else. And, uh, well, there's not, there's, I guess I can't really talk about that too much yet. Hmm. Okay. I'll, I'll save that. We'll circle back later. around at some point. But, I, but the, uh, yeah, that line, I'm so glad you mentioned that cause I would have forgot to talk about it. That whole exchange made me laugh so hard and the way he kind of turns to the other guys like, yeah, like why don't any of you have this problem too? Yeah. And then, and then they only validate his. <laughs> validate his parking it's so funny and i love the delivery of the line where he's like had i known i would have found street parking <laughs> yeah. so listen as detroiters <laughs> this is a very real problem and anybody who lives in any major city knows but especially in the motor city yeah. where public transportation is like non-existent mm-hmm. might as well be non-existent yeah uh, because what little there is is so overcrowded and just a nightmare but parking is very expensive if you're going to go to like a structure or something, yeah. especially in the city, but even metered parking is expensive. So you do try to find those sort of off the, the beat. Cranny. Yeah. Yes. There's people, are, there's people that park at the casinos here to go to stadium events down right. in downtown because it's free. Because it's free. Yeah. yeah. And people will frequently park on like the street in like neighborhoods, but then you might be in like a <laughs> sketchy neighborhood and there's a, there's a okay chance less so now that your car will be vandalized in some way. Yep. It's just a very real problem. And so this whole, exchange i thought even though it was a very small joke akin to the atlanta falcons thing yeah it just made a whole world of sense to me and i thought it was so so absolutely hysterical yeah it's kind of not even actually a joke it's just a funny <laughs> it's played funny straight. exchange yeah. yeah and the just the direction and the performance on it were just so absolutely top-notch i yeah. thought this is what a wonderful introduction to this character and the way he's going to interact with other people because it's totally the way he is just yeah. very bullish <laughs> Uh, we get to, there's, there's the one event where they're wrestling and, and he are, or kind of, I guess it's hand to hand combat is what they call it. Yeah. And the other guy gets him in a headlock. So he starts masturbating to throw him <laughs> off and then gets the upper hand. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is part of his strategy, but then I think part of him is genuinely like aroused <laughs> by, by the violence of it and like being like choked. Yeah. Like this, this is two or three fold. Yep. And then also, obviously, the electrocution of their private parts was, you know, he has no reaction to it. One guy just gets killed. They really paint a picture in in these scenes with Hair Star, for to, sure. To the level of badass you're dealing with. Yeah. Like, and I don't mean that in, like, a complimentary way, but just someone who has tolerances for things that are, that are pretty unreal. Uh, so, the idea of... Jesus having father the child is that something that is present in the grail and the comic books like is that yes that's their function yes okay that the the mission of the grail as stated by homeboy I forgot his Salt name Stall. Salt and Stall of Swing <laughs> is very accurate to the comic one really quick before we move on from this yeah. amazing montage the seduction scene oh yeah was so funny and such a good twist because I thought, man, he's going to sit down and he's going to charm the dress right <laughs> off of her. And instead he just threatens her. He's just, yeah. And it's so much funnier for that. Like I, that was when I was surprised and I was like, cause I was like, man, Hairstar is capable of a lot. I wonder what he's going to do to actually get her intrigued by him. And instead he just threatens her and it's so good. 
Yeah, I guess the thing and the is... the way he leans in and everything, I was like, oh, God, this Like, is I wonder if these evaluations, they, they clearly weren't, like, some of them were pass-fail. Like, if you died in that electrocution, then you were dead. I feel like he passed every single one. Like, yeah, so it's like... flying colors. It's we're like, like, you know what? That's effective. <laughs> you don't need to seduce when you look like that, because you can't. Like, he knows his strengths. He knows his strengths, And yeah. he fooled me for a second, because I was like, he's going to find a way, because he's crafty. And I was like, wait, what am I talking about? Of course he's not. But I, uh, one thing that you and I usually pick up on is we pay a lot of attention to characters' body language. Yeah. And we, you and I always laugh together when we're watching something and a character walks funny. For some reason, this always gets to us. <laughs> yeah. And his walk is absolutely hysterical. Mm-hmm. The scene where he wrestles the guy and then he walks off and then he yeah. walks back with like the nightstick or whatever he has and like bludges him and then he walks away again. That weird little scoot he does is so funny. <laughs> and just, it's like... I, I, all I can think of right now is Tom Hardy. Like Tom Hardy frequently yeah. has weird ways of walking and you and I always chuckle about it. We're yep. just like, yeah, that's pretty funny. That's, it's part of the affectation. That exactly. And, and so. something about the way Hair Star walks around in those scenes is so funny. He's like this weird little old man. That's, yeah. And I get like part of my fascination with it is just the idea that I don't think if I was an actor, I would ever be able to affect my performance that much. And it's to, a, it's such an ingenious way to do it too, yeah. because Dominic Cooper has these little facial expressions, like we've said, and yeah. uh, Joe Gilgan also has like the facial gymnastics he does, as and he well does as a funny walk, yeah. a little bit of physicality, and it's in his wardrobe. Like this is yeah. obviously part of the craft of actors is to find ways to bring these characters to life. But Hair Star is somewhat handicapped and enhanced by his one eye. Like there's nothing he can do with that besides what's already done. Which, by the way, it is spot on. And his <laughs> His face is like just just absolutely perfect. But, you know, finding aside from the wardrobe, he has very distinct wardrobe. It's distinct, distinct, but it's also kind of, uh, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe distinct is the right word. I mean, in terms of the grail, the grail suit. It's a very, but it's a uniform and it's everybody's. So it's not like he can necessarily shine through himself in that. He already has the hat, though. The hat is what ties it together. And the hat doesn't come about until a little later in the book. And it's for a very specific reason. Hmm. That's pure gold. I'm glad that he already has it because it sets him apart aside from his facial yeah. facial scar. But anyway, I just think that that's such a nice touch. Yeah. And it seems like the kind of thing that Pip probably brought to the table. Like I feel like his audition was probably spectacular because he just seems to have nailed it so outright along with Joe Gilgan to the point where they probably read and they were like, wow, you are absolutely flawless. Like, <laughs> yeah. They probably got offered the job there and then. But that just those little things that are breathing life into these guys are, yeah. are just so phenomenal. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, he killed Saltonstall to take over. And he, yeah, that was good. Thoughts. I, I kind of saw, I started to see that coming. I was yeah. like, I was like, okay, oh, they're when, by the balcony. <laughs> when is he going to kill this guy? Yeah. The terribly green screened London skyline balcony. I know. It was like the opening of Sin City. <laughs> I was like, what the, what the shit? Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't care. It, it, did, yeah, it didn't bother me at all. The I final shot like, of that scene was really cool where the poster of Christ rolls down behind him yeah. and he looks like Hitman. Like, yeah. Just all over. That was, oh, that was really cool. <laughs> It's just that whole chunk. This this was one of my favorite episodes of the show. Yeah, it's such a contrast to me for me to some of the most recent episodes, and it's not only because we got introduced to Hair Star, which is something I've been waiting for, mm-hmm. but it just has so so much momentum for it, and it it does a lot of exposition without it feeling like it. Like it catches you up on a character and brings them into the world and positions them into where they're going to be in such an effective way that. I thought it was just very, very, very well done. Yeah, going back to do an origin for somebody can always feel kind of like we're playing. Catch you can up. do that poorly, and you can slipstream them into where you're at very poorly too. Yeah. So to to have it 
feel like they successfully pulled it off. Mm-hmm. I think I think was was very good. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, back to what you were saying before I kind of derailed us. Yes, that is that is the mission of the Grail is to the mission of the Grail is to safeguard the bloodline of Christ yeah. and to basically keep it uh, alive for the for the apocalypse, basically the end of the world. Because as they say, uh, or as they predict, the when the end of the world comes, people are going to be lost and leaderless, and they're not going to know what to do. As Hairstar pretty much says, and he thinks it's ingenious. And I did love his bit about like, do you know how we achieved this? Because he says like, you know, we're in control of pretty much all major role events. And he says, yeah. I assume a combination of, what do you say? Economic and sexual control blackmail. And, and sexual blackmail. Yeah. So funny <laughs> and so well done. But uh, that is that is their mission. And, and like the uh, like Sultan says, uh, those are means to an end. Okay. Like he, they don't they don't necessarily take pleasure in that. Some of them do because you kind of see like hair stars like I was promised all these women and he's like, if women are what you want, then yeah, that's what you'll get. Yeah. And like obviously it kind of speaks to that somewhat perverted nature that some feel religious uh, leaders have. Like a lot of people I think that are very, very critical of religion, they think that uh, people in power Absolute power corrupts absolutely, basically. Yeah. And if you have power, you're going to abuse it, and you are not necessarily going to even abide by the same things that you're preaching. And I think that this is well established in a lot of media. Yeah. You know, and I always recently, I think of True Detective, how it did a really good job kind of mm-hmm. talking about that. And then like um, Spotlight and these kind of movies that <clears throat> call attention to these sort of things. And in this show, I think that they're, they're wholly embracing that kind of idea from the books that. Yeah. You know, Hairstar may be working for this organization, which may on paper, I can't even say on paper that it has a noble goal because it really doesn't. But, you know, he's kind of like, oh, I'm going to do insane sex stuff. And then his boss is like, yeah, cool. Like, if that's what you, if that's what you want, that's fine. You know yeah. what I mean? But he he seems to believe a little more in the Grail's cause, uh, his, his would-be boss. And Star just kind of seems to want... He has his own agenda as laid out in his resume or his job application, which says he basically wants to eradicate the earth from, from any the parasites. Yes, that, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and he just wants the platform from which to do it. Yeah. But his goals are going to shift slightly. And I'm really excited to see that happen. Interesting. Yeah. He seems to me like this is the, uh, and, and, I'll, and I'll say with, with that, with the last thought that you left off on, he seemed to me as though this would maybe potentially be, like a stepping stone into him gathering more power. Yes. Yep. Kind of he, yeah, he just he's doing it partially out, I think, out of a combination of that boredom. Yep. But also he doesn't want to have to answer to a guy who he thinks is kind of a schmuck. Yeah. Like I don't think he respects him. He's yeah. like, yeah, whatever. I could I could why would I sit here and be your right hand man when I could just throw you off the balcony and, and be you. <laughs> and he just thinks that's how it's gonna work too. He's that confident. He's like, I'll just sit down on the desk and then I'll be the guy. Yeah. Like I'm not the guy behind the guy, I'm there the won't guy. Be any question. But that kind of, that's kinda of how it was, even in the fact that he shoots his other contestant. Right. Like that that's how that works in the grail it seems like exactly almost, so. yeah that ruthlessness will be rewarded because you're you're showing that you're willing to you're go good to, for the mission to pretty much any uh, <laughs> any length possible to advance yeah and uh i think that his his real leaders in the grail respect that level of like that of relentlessness yeah yeah absolutely all right uh, act five, final act of the show. Jesse pays a visit to the man professing the end of the world to talk about why he does what he does. He says it offers the people the ability to worry about something other than how horrible they themselves are. He also thinks that all the crazy things that happened are 
He thinks that all the crazy things happening have since have increased since Tom Cruise exploded. <laughs> yeah. But there always seems to be an explanation. Jesse also asked him about the soul selling and whether or not someone selling 1% of their soul to help their friends is worthwhile, but the man thinks soul selling is the most obvious sign of the of the apocalypse. Uh, I've got two other points for the for the act, but we can kind of stop there and talk about this, these conversations. Um, glad Tom Cruise exploding came back because yep. that was, also that was good. a good note that they kept hitting on the first season. Uh what does he point out also? He says pigs flying, Trump, and he says something else. Yeah, he says, I've got it here in the notes. He says that uh, Cubs winning. Cubs Trump, winning, yeah. Pigs the, flying. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't really think about the whole, like, it's literally a flying pig. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I kind of thought the same thing, too. It wasn't until they, they because the first scene happens, and I, they show the couple kind of celebrating it, and I was like, what the f- yeah. yeah, I was kind of like, I don't get it. And then when they're watching it on the news, then it kind of started to click. I was like, oh, <laughs> he's not really flying. He's just it's floating. levitating. I get yeah. it, though. I mean, it yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's uh, it's I like that so much of the writing on this show is very like they they go with Occam's razor, so to speak. Yep. Like, like, what should it be? Oh, well, what do people always say? When pigs fly. OK, well, how about we make a pig fly? Uh, <laughs> It's good. It's really good. It's just to the point and it makes sense. And yeah. it's the kind of thing where it would be unbelievable and yet we would all kind of laugh and go, well, how about that? <laughs> That's what literally what happened. Uh, I like that Jesse kind of found an ally in the guy professing the end of the world on the corner of the street. Like they they, they have this built-in camaraderie of... of uh, and Jesse doesn't even necessarily look down on the guy for not being like a priest or whatever, but he's still, they, they have this common ground of being believers in God that. Yeah. And I think that they both, they both think that they're right. Yeah. And I think that they both like thinking that they, they both kind of enjoy the other one kind of back buying into their shit. Sort yeah. Of, you know what I mean? There's a weird level of, of that sort of understanding, but it's not, it's almost not real understanding. It's hard to, t- I think it's kind of a complex scene and I'm, I'm actually a little upset that I don't remember more of the dialogue. Yeah. I really, this felt like my favorite scene in the season so far was still the one where they talked to the manager of the strip club. Yeah. I thought that was something really magical. Yeah. And this kind of reminded me of that. Like I really love these Jesse kind of one-on-ones with people who are going to be able to advance his search. Yeah. And I think that this guy kind of, almost cued him to get out of new orleans there was some i thought there was some sort of line exchanged where uh he basically kind of thought he needed to move on and maybe it wasn't in this scene i thought i remember getting the feeling that jesse thought the search here was just about done oh maybe it's after the scene where he goes maybe i was wrong about this place that was actually in like the first act that was earlier okay he walks out of the the last uh jazz jazz, okay and he's just kind of like i feel like maybe maybe it was a mistake coming here is what he says so it seemed, I was kind of like, oh, maybe they will get out of here before the end God, of the season. Did I ever but. hope so? Yeah, when he said that, I, I kind of breathed a sigh of relief. I was like, yeah, let's move on. Yeah. And it's not that I don't like the backdrop. It's just I I think there's so much potential for them to be out and about. And I get the restrictions of, of where you can film and that sort of thing. Uh, and I know that this is a deviation from the book and that it's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think that the, the potential for maybe some better storytelling exists elsewhere. Yeah. 
I just hope we don't fall into this pattern of like spending the bulk of a season in one different city each time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Although that is more variety than a lot of other shows get, the part of Jesse's quest is just being on the move and seeing new places. And you know, Preacher in the in the the book is often a sort of a love letter to America and some Americana. And some people have called it an indictment of that, but I think it's kind of a mix of both. Yeah. But you know, that goes hand in hand with traveling and seeing more of it. It's almost this giant, I mean, we've said it before a million times. It's a giant road trip story. Yeah. So it's a cool new Orleans. I, you know, we've said this to death already a hundred times. It has a lot to do with that world and the the merging of those, the supernatural and, yeah. and the natural world. Uh, it's a good place for that to happen. So anyway, I liked the scene a lot because I thought it reminded me of that earlier scene. And I like these kind of moments where Jesse gets some real insight, but nobody else from his party is there to like, bear witness to it necessarily yeah. or they don't pick up the same thing he did because tulips with him in the scene with the uh the owner of the uh, the manager of the strip club yeah so he she is there for that but these little intimate moments where jesse's quest you know however misguided it may be at times he kind of gets the fuel he needs to keep going just when he kind of is ready to give up, he kind of stumbles. He finds that next breadcrumb. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's really, really fun to watch him. And then the guy who plays this guy is really good. <laughs> yeah. Because he's so conversational. He's not like a giant weirdo. Yeah. Like you, you, you see him and you expect some. It, seem, it seems like his nine to five is coming to right. him. <laughs> sit on the Yeah. Corner. And you expect some, again, really broad interpretation of like ranting homeless man. Yep. But he's the part where he's like, well. I got car. I got a car payments and, and a drinking problem, so I better get back to it. The way he says, like, "Oh my, my ten minute, my fifteen minute breaks over. I gotta, gotta get back onto the floor and keep yelling." Yeah, it's just a very funny way of of looking at it. Uh, that was John Ailes. He is great. Yeah. Again, the, the show does a great job of finding these little people and peppering them everywhere, and just really creating the the tapestry of this world. Uh, yeah. Next on this final act, Cassidy makes it out of the hospital. He was lo- I forgot to mention that he was locked in the, uh, in the morgue. morgue. Yeah. Somebody, someone came and let him out, but he sees a couple crying over an older man, presumably a parent, but it causes him to think about Denis. I thought it was. I, it looks a lot it like him. It looks a him. lot like it's him, and almost- I thought, oh, are those Denis kids that we didn't know about, and thus uh, Cassidy's grandchildren? Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, and then it cuts to him at the house, and I was like, oh, never mind. Yeah, no, it, that, it was, that, that felt weird to me, too. So. I, th- I mean, I, literally, I thought that was going to be it. I, th- that, I thought that was going to be it. I, I was like, there's Denis, those are his kids, and all we're going to get from that is Cassidy looking through the window and kind of going, well, doesn't that just suck? And yeah. then move on, and I was like, damn, cold, but awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tulip notices a bullet hole in the back of the fridge and heads to the heart locker where she agrees to get shot. When getting shot, she imagines it's the scene of killers. She gets up in four seconds and asks to go again. I kind of read this as like her kind of facing her fear a little bit. And I don't really know. I'm like, I don't want to commit to that. I don't think anybody should quote me on it necessarily. But it felt as though she gained some power over that fear when she felt as though she survived a shot from the saint. I think it's worse than that. You think it's worse? Oh, yeah. That <laughs> sounds like way? a good thing. <laughs> that sounds like the kind of shit that turns Bruce Wayne into Batman. <laughs> no. <Yeah. clears throat> this, uh, to me, and this is part of my two-part thing i kind of talked earlier about how i i thought i wanted to see how jesse was going to react to having part of his soul be gone and i thought that tulip's reactions right now seem to be more what i would have thought jesse would be feeling the kind of something isn't right feeling yeah 
and maybe he has it and he's just pushing it down for now. But I kind of think that, you know, uh, and this is something that a lot of our listeners feedback has kind of made me think about the saint of killers more differently than I normally would. Cause I think a lot of the character I'm, I'm very ready and willing to look at all the characters in the show as different from the ones in the books. But for some reason with the saint, I'm a little more rigid on it. Yeah. But uh, some of our listeners describing him as maybe having these abilities of like insight or, um, you know, being able to him basically having more powers than I initially would have given him. I think maybe he is almost representative of uh, the angel of death almost in a mm. way, even though he's not that that is presumably a separate character with a separate job. I kind of think that Tulip in a way cheated death and she maybe feels like she should be dead even mm. though she doesn't know it. So I think on the one hand, uh, describing it as her facing her own mortality is very valid. And obviously, as we said before, she lives this lifestyle, which is pretty conducive to getting killed. Yeah. So she doesn't necessarily seem to think about the consequences so often. And maybe that is part of it. But I think that maybe she was kind of supposed to die there. And as she even says, like, if it wasn't for Cass, I would be dead. Yeah. So Cass is literally like her, her guardian angel in that moment. Like he literally saved her life. And I think that in a way she was pretty much earmarked for death. Like her, her, her card was pulled. She's ready to go. And because it was averted briefly by, uh, by Cassidy, uh, she's in this kind of weird limbo. It's like a weird survivor's guilt. Yes. Yeah. Kind of. And so I think that whether it is an unconscious thing or there is something larger at play, like she was supposed to be dead. And now the order of things is a little bit askew for her. I think that that's kind of what's going on. And I think that her getting shot made her feel for a second. I think she's basically going to become addicted to this kind of thing. And she may be even more of like a thrill seeker, uh, even more caution to the wind than she was before. And she might start putting herself in like really crazy situations. And Jesse might, they might come to blows over it with him kind of being like, you know, what has gotten into you? Like, why, why, why aren't you taking care of yourself kind of thing? Yeah. And uh, like, she might start throwing herself more in harm's way because I think she feels close to death again. And maybe that's where she feels like she should have died. And uh, obviously things aren't really great for her right now. Yeah. You know, Anvil was uh, blown up. So her only family is gone. Her little family unit with Cassidy and Jesse, she seems happy when it's like functioning, like when she's making pancakes and they're all together. But then Jesse gets angry and storms off and he's looking for God and Cassidy is a vampire and she probably has a little bit of self-loathing that she's attracted to him and yeah. feels like he is her confidant, even though he's clearly kind of a bad dude. And he has, she sees what happens to people who love him basically to like his own, his own blood. Yeah. Get, you know, stuffed him into a crappy apartment in new Orleans <laughs> and then just die. Mm-hmm. So I think that she's doesn't know her place. And I think she really has nothing to look forward to and she's not going to kill herself, but I think she, in a way, was she's, like, this is where I die. Her, her, her it's like, she's subconsciously atoning for, like her her body's moving her towards these things that will right that wrong. Yeah, that kind of unbalance. Yeah, because I think that, and I I do have to go back and watch the scene where the saint has her by the throat and he's like probably gonna kill her. Um, is he wait? What does he do when he's gonna kill her? Does he put her on the ground and he pulls out his sword? So she when, he draws when she his, brings up her fam- his family okay. when she's trying to get Denis out of there to get his medicine. He stands up and holds her by the neck. Uh-huh. Lets, and he draws the sword. No. Okay. He lets her go, and then she goes back to casting and is like, he touched me. 
And then later in the episode, when Jesse's late, he pulls her out of the room, throws her on the ground, pulls out his sword, and then Cassidy grabs it. Okay. So the, 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 those are kind of two different instances. Yeah. But so maybe I'm off there because the the grabbing by the throat is the moment that had the impact. Unless well, they she, both did because, as you said, she's like, I would have been dead. So obviously, yeah, she's both. she is dreaming of the two moments. She's dreaming of Cassidy's fingers and uh, as well as the shot. I mean, clearly the moment when he had her by the throat is the moment she keeps coming back to because yeah. she's like floating in the dream and she's like not she doesn't have her feet on the ground. So she's just kind of helpless and weightless and he's just got her. So maybe it could be that he has that kind of touch of death where you feel it and suddenly you're not whole anymore. Yeah. But it could be something larger is kind of what I'm what I've been driving at that there's some some something has happened here that wasn't supposed to happen yeah and maybe even if it's nothing cosmic and supernatural it's just something inside of her where she probably feels like she should be dead and maybe she right now doesn't feel like she really has a reason to be living yeah although she didn't go for the hand cannon so clearly she went with a lower caliber bullet that's true (laughs) she already saw what happened to Cass yeah that's true she didn't want the insta kill she nope. wanted to roll the dice. Yep. You know, she's playing Russian roulette, essentially. There might still be that little bit of humanity holding on, being like, mm-hmm. don't. Uh, all right. And then the final part of the episode in Vietnam, Hairstar has killed the village and the pig, and he's headed for Jesse in New Orleans next. Jesse sits at Denise watching a newscast about the massacre in Vietnam, and hears it uh, was the water that kills everyone and also the and also caused the pig to float. Uh, and this robotic voice offers an explanation <laughs> of like, <laughs> yeah, what was the line? Are you a scientist? Is, are you a scientist? Shut no, up. shut up. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Uh, but it, this scene, Jesse sitting there watching of the like, oh, there's the pi- flying pig. And then they're like, it, it was the water. Is that it harkens back to that conversation earlier in the act of like, there's always an explanation. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a true, actual, right explanation, obviously, but no. But uh, people will accept it. Yeah. And isn't isn't there a line to that effect of like you can you can say something and people will in general just go with it if it if it helps them. Maybe I'm thinking of a different work of fiction altogether. But if if you know if you feed something to people and it, if it's good enough for them, then they'll just accept it. Yeah, I, I I don't I I don't remember something like that being said, but that doesn't mean it wasn't. I'm so. sure I'm just thinking of something else. Like it kind of reminds me of Men in Black, where Tommy Lee Jones tells him like, "There's always some crazy yeah. looming threat." And as five hundred years ago, people thought the world was flat. Mm-hmm. Think think about what you know tomorrow. What you'll know tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. It's, as if an hour ago you thought you were alone. We were alone on this galaxy. Yeah, and imagine what you'll learn tomorrow. Something like that. I shared that recently on Facebook. Actually, that's, it's one that's of my a, favorite scenes. That's a fantastic scene. Uh, this show could use Tommy Jones. That'd be awesome. <laughs> and Ben Mendelsohn, because he should be in everything. <laughs> but uh, it kind of reminds me of that, where like there's always something really terrible. But as long as you tell people what they want to hear... you got that rationalization yeah. for it. But I think it also plays into, on, on a darker note, You know, they, they bring Trump into this directly. Yeah. Which I'm sure, you know, in the wake of the election... Rogan and Goldberg probably turned to each other. They were, I, I imagine them sitting next to each other on the couch at all times. They probably turned to each other and they were like, yeah, did we just strike gold? Because it's almost the kind of thing that like another comedian like Mel Brooks or somebody would totally capitalize on and be yeah. like, you know, I'm going to make, I'm going to use this kind yeah. of thing. And it is, I mean, we obviously already, already lived in crazy times, but we live in even crazier times now. I mean, yeah. to the point where it is a week to week basis. Yeah, day to day. Where we <laughs> don't know 
what we're going to be talking about next week in the news. <laughs> and, and there's so much, and I don't want to say the words fake news, but there's just so much uh, unfounded opinion being thrown around as fact and so many people gobble it up like it's truth. Yeah. I mean, how many articles and stuff do you see shared on Facebook and Twitter? It's like all it is now. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the things that people, and to the point where people don't even read the articles anymore. If the headline, like I saw somebody just do this on Facebook yeah. where they shared a story and people started commenting based on the headline and they're like, read the article. That's not what they're saying. And it's so crazy where people can't be bothered to click and scroll and read. Well, my and my cousin always posts these things, not to put her on blast, but she's never going to listen to this. So she always posts these <laughs> things that are like from websites that are like fox19news.com, which are a bunch of fake sites right. that legitimately, like if you scroll to the bottom and hit the about page, it's like this is a satirical news right, site yeah, or something exactly. like that. Or there is no about because it's just somebody's opinion. Yeah. And they're, they cleverly named it to, to be disguised as, as a factual Something news legitimate. Outlet. Yeah. So... It, you know, and so I think that this is pretty much just their indictment of that that some clearly fake like text to voice program was fed this information yeah. to the point where yeah it's like are you a scientist shut up and <laughs> people would watch that in real life and go you know what I'm not a scientist and that sounds legit to me there's too much hydrogen in the water so shit started floating <laughs> makes sense hydrogen makes things lighter yep. and yep. It, without even thinking about it or or bothering to th- you know to even question it it's just it's crazy like yeah. it, it, it grinds my gears just even in this show <laughs> thinking about like how that it's hilarious don't get me wrong it totally yeah. cracks me up i was laughing a lot at that at that scene too because i was like man what a just what a blatant way to do it yeah yeah but again really effective absolutely i like to think that the grail doesn't necessarily have to be that clever sometimes no hair star knows like what will work as long as they remain unseen, they can kind of feed mm-hmm. whatever they want. Exactly. Yeah. I really like uh, his, you know, his phone calls, and I want to know. I think I know yeah. who, who he's the talking to. The weird thing to. to me is that it sounds like he's talking to somebody, but it doesn't sound like a superior. It sounds like a like it's somebody back in the office that's like, all right, where am I headed to? Like he, he's asking somebody what's next on the agenda. Not like he's not looking for command. It's. Interesting. I like, kind of thought the opposite. That so uh, yeah, we'll have to see. But there was something about the way that he was talking to whoever it was that to me felt as though they weren't a superior. That it was just. Well, he when he asks for he asks for backup, right? He's like, I'm going to need a lot more because he thinks he's going to have to like like shooting gallery the village basically or something he's like doesn't he he requests a bunch of stuff and yeah then, and then he realizes like wait I he's have got a, a much easier i have tool. a better a simpler and better way to handle this so it seemed almost like he was reporting to somebody saying like i'm like requesting the maybe not requesting maybe he was just talking to like his his uh clerical staff back back yeah. at the office saying like all right you're gonna need to put in an order for all this shit because this is what i'm gonna need yeah it could be that you're right i I'm kind of assuming based on other knowledge that he's talking to a superior. So, somebody somebody important from the comics probably. Yeah, because he doesn't answer to many people, but he does have, have superior, people. Yeah. yeah, someone he answers to. We'll see. You never yeah, know. I'm so excited that he's here because uh, the Grail are a phenomenal like force of antagonism and they run throughout the book. Like they're, I think they're there for almost all. They're kind of like the Saint of Killers where they're not always there, but they're always there. Yeah. Like I said before, I think it was in the, in the previous episode, uh, in in the books, it, there's many forces all trying to find Jesse because they all want 
to access him slash Genesis for different reasons. And this is just another one of those parties that's going to so be... You're, you're reminding me of like Fallout where there's like several factions that want absolutely. to use your skill exactly. set to do and, something. And meanwhile, you have Jesse whose sole goal is to try to find God. Yeah. And so he is tr- he is following his own breadcrumbs, to borrow what you said earlier. Meanwhile, dodging these things. And like I said, he'll zig out of the way of the grail only to zag right into and the saint else, or yeah. somebody else. And sometimes all the lines converge and it's just the best. <laughs> Interesting. So I'm really, I'm really glad. I think part of the reason I loved this episode so much, aside from just in general, the really good storytelling and acting was we've got another face and another, another force of antagonism. Uh, player, player two is anything. Player three is anything. Basically. Game, yeah. And it's awesome. Awesome. It was a great episode. I think uh, one of my favorites, yeah, certainly one of my favorites of this season. And I'd yeah. love to hear what people have to say. If like, I wonder if, if people will not like the things that I liked. We'll see. We'll see what they say. I didn't like the things they liked. We we will see. I feel like most of the people that liked the soul stuff were people that were not comic book. Right. Or at least readers. have the objectivity to enjoy it for what it is. Unlike yeah. me, who's marred by. <laughs> despite us having that conversation saying you should enjoy I know. things. Despite it's <laughs> so hard. Yeah. And it's always like the following week I look back and go, man, was I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> what did you, what do you think though? I mean, as far as I'm assuming this is kind of our second half of the season. Yeah. No, I mean, to me, it, fe- it I don't necessarily know that it, because of the origin to me, it didn't necessarily feel like a ton of forward motion, but I see that we're setting up for something that is going to... This is just maybe more satisfying table setting for me. Yeah. Maybe I like this better. Yeah. Because it has to do with something that's going to spur them into action. Yeah. It is, it is episode seven, so this it's kind of that middle, that transitionary episode. Yep. Where like every Marvel show has episode seven seems to be one of like stepping back and recalculating yeah yeah and pivoting so like whereas the big bad and and one through six was the saint slash victor now we're probably going to focus more on the grail yeah which i could totally see and i i will know uh i think vegeta said something about the uh comic-con panel i didn't watch anything because i didn't know spoilery wise if there was going to be anything that i shouldn't know or see but i know they put out a trailer and she mentioned that hairstar was pretty prevalent in it so I, I i would assume that is the right way to go i am interested to see if they do make it out of new orleans because i think that would be good although as i think i brought up a few weeks ago they did read that season three will be shot in new orleans but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to take place there i don't know i think i have i have some theories about that but it probably will it will probably have to do more with jesse's past that would keep them there okay well, we know by the end of this episode that hair star is on his way to new orleans yeah so, yeah. and we do know that the events, his events in Vietnam are running concurrently with Jesse's because he's watching it on the news. Yep. So it's not like that was all happening two weeks ago. And, uh, um, so he's on his way there. So there are some things are going to come to a head there, I think. Yeah. And obviously, uh, f- uh, Featherstone has already made contact with Jesse and she was kind of the recon to investigate whether or not his power was legitimate. Mm-hmm. So. And yeah. then it got handed to Samson unit. Right. So. Yeah, this article says uh, this is um, NOLA.com is the website. I think it's a New Orleans uh, newspaper. AMC Preacher files paperwork to shoot season three in New Orleans. And it says that uh, the new season will be shot on an estimated budget of $70 million, up slightly from the $67 million estimated for the 13-episode season two. 
Uh, an estimated 50 million of that season three budget will be spent in Louisiana, with 19 million of that earmarked for in-state payroll. So, in California, I assume. Uh, I, I, it says in-state in, in payroll. In-state is interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily know Louisiana. that. Maybe they mean 50 out of that 50 million. 19 percent of it is for people, the people that they're hiring. Yeah, maybe that's perhaps. so. Like locals. Yeah. Well, uh, do they say how many episodes season three is going to be? I don't think that's been hasn't been released yet. Officially released yet. That's I don't exciting. even know if it's officially. Did did it get renewed? Did it get renewed for two seasons at a time? I think it did. Maybe. It's exciting. I'm glad it's doing well. I, I I've been bad about watching the ratings and and the the viewer count, but it seems to be doing well. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing that kind of worries me is that I've I've been looking in Wikipedia. They tend to compile the ratings data. Yeah. And season two generally looks to be down compared to season one. Really? Yeah. So I wonder, and and obviously we are in sort of a transitionary period still as far as how people are watching shows. So I wonder which data is like the old like Nielsen ratings and stuff that carry over from like, oh, like well, people watching it live versus people who are streaming it. After yeah. I know that somebody out there, I think Nielsen does report like a plus DVR or something like oh, okay. that. But like, I don't, like your I don't brother is going to binge it when it's over. Yeah. He'll watch the whole season in like a couple of days. Yeah. So he, you know, I think that if anything, that model might be even more of what they pay attention to. Yeah. Now. You know, the money they get from Netflix or Hulu, I guess it's Hulu in this case, the money they get from Hulu to, to be able to show it, that kind of thing. So obviously there's more and AMC. Once again, buying Rubicon has been pretty good about giving these shows chances to find an audience. Breaking yeah. bad could have gotten canceled in season three and it wouldn't have been like <sighs> any you imagine. Exactly. So, uh, and as we know, Halt and Catch Fire got a fourth and final season. So they're very much like, we're going to let you finish telling the story that you're telling. So I think (laughs) Preacher being what it is, I think they would certainly allow it time to. We should, we should probably record some kind of podcast about Halt and Catch Fire, you and I, because I feel like we are responsible for keeping that show on (laughs) you more than me because you've been watching it. Yeah. But during season one, we were, we were texting each other so much about it and like encouraging each other to keep watching it. And I haven't watched season two or three. And, uh, last night when I was watching this episode of preacher, it it played the trailer for season four and I like got weirdly weepy. I was like, Oh my God, they're all still here. And and it's clearly building towards some sort of conclusion. And I was like, it was almost like walking into like a reunion of people you haven't seen in a long time. And they all look a little different, but you're just excited to see that every season of that show has been like that. That's so cool. Season season one was like in the seventies. Season two is kind of eighties. Season three, or I guess seasons one or seasons one and two are kind of seventies, eighties. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of in that transitionary. Like all, I guess yeah. All three of those seasons are somewhere in the seventies and eighties. They kind of come up like five to five to seven years in between each season, and then this final one supposedly is going to be like nineties to now ish. Wow. Is, is what I, what I think I've seen. It's too bad. Lee Pace is ageless <laughs> and shows no they evidence have to change his hair. Shows no evidence of time <laughs> passing. Anyway, we are very far off the track. Well, not yeah, that far, but I think all we can say is please watch AMC's other shows too, because yeah. honestly, give them all a chance. You can skip the walking dead if you want. Yeah. Forget about that one. That it's one, got does, enough that one doesn't need any help. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, good luck with Rubicon. You'll never find it. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's an, that's a real shame. Yeah. So it's damn Absolutely. good. But a holding catch fire is great. And, uh, obviously if you haven't watched breaking bad, 
it's probably the greatest show ever made. For sure. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on G2TPodcast.com. That's the letter G, number two, letter T, podcast.com. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. We're G2T Podcast on Twitter, and you can email us, G2TPodcast at gmail.com, to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Preacher or our podcast as you guys have been doing. It is fantastic, and we love hearing from you. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, and HBO's Westworld. Find out more about these shows as well as how to support the network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song All In by The Red Thread, and it is being used under a non-commercial Creative Commons license. That's all for this episode of Gone to Texas. We can't wait to see what next week's episode of Preacher brings, but until then, go forth and speak the good word.